0: When you're in difficulties, remarked Bill Jones slowly as he entered the ranch and proceeded to fill his pipe, get out of em if you can. If you can't, why what then? Circumstances is adverse and it's no use a tryin' to mend em. Only my sentiments is that I'll delay washin' till I comes to a river. "'You've come from San Francisco, stranger?' said a rough-looking man in heavy boots and a guernsey shirt, addressing Captain Bunting. "'Maybe I have,' replied the captain, regarding his interrogator through the smoke of his pipe, which he was in the act of lighting. "'Going to the diggings, I suppose?' "'Yes.' "'Been there before?' "'No.' "'Nor none of your party, I expect?' "'None except one?' "'You'll be going up to the bar at the American Forks now, I calculate. "'Don't know that I am. "'Perhaps you'll try the northern diggings?' "'Perhaps.' "'How long this pertinacious questioner might have continued his attack on the captain is uncertain, "'had he not been suddenly interrupted by the announcement that supper was ready. "'So he swaggered off to the corner of the hut, where an imposing row of bottles stood, "'demanded a brandy-smash, which he drank,' and then, seating himself at the table along with the rest of the party, proceeded to help himself largely to all that was within his reach. The fare was substantial, but not attractive. It consisted of a large junk of boiled salt beef, a mass of rancid pork, and a tray of broken ship-biscuit, but hungry men are not particular, so the viands were demolished in a remarkably short space of time. "'I'm almost out of supply,' said the host in a sort of apologetic tone. "'And the cart I sent down to Sacramento some weeks ago for more's not come back.' "'Better than nothing,' remarked a bronzed, weather-beaten hunter as he helped himself to another junk of pork. "'If you would send out your boy into the hills with a rifle now and again, you'd get lots of grizzly bars.' "'Are grizzly bears eaten here?' inquired Ned Sinton, pausing in the act of mastication to ask the question. "'Eaten?' exclaimed the hunter in surprise. "'Of course they is. "'You're uncommon good eatin' too, I guess. "'Many a one I've killed and eaten myself, "'and I like em better in beef. "'I do. "'I shot one up in the hills there two days ago "'and supped off him, "'but being in a hurry, "'I left the carcass to the coyotes. "'Coyotes are small wolves.' The men assembled around the rude table d'hote were fifteen in number, including our adventurers, and represented at least six different nations—English, Scotch, Irish, German, Yankee, and Chinese. Most of them, however, were Yankees, and all were gold diggers. Even the hunter just referred to, although he had not altogether forsaken his former calling, devoted much of his time to searching for gold. Some, like our friends, were on their way to the diggings for the first time. Others were returning with provisions, which they had traveled to Sacramento City to purchase, and one or two were successful diggers who had made their piles, in other words, their fortunes, and were returning home with heavy purses of gold dust and nuggets. Good humor was the prevailing characteristic of the party, for each man was either successful or sanguinely hopeful, and all seemed to be affected by a sort of undercurrent of excitement as they listened to or related their adventures at the mines. There was only one serious drawback to the scene, and that was the perpetual and terrible swearing that mingled with the conversation. The Americans excelled in this wicked practice. They seemed to labor to invent oaths, not for the purpose of venting angry feelings, but apparently with the view of giving emphasis to their statements and assertions. The others swore from habit. They had evidently ceased to be aware that they were using oaths, so terribly had familiarity with sinful practices blunted the consciences of men who, in early life, would probably have trembled in this way to break the law of God. Yes, by the way, there was one other drawback to the otherwise picturesque and interesting group, and this was the spitting propensity of the Yankees. All over the floor... That floor, too, on which other men besides themselves were to repose, they discharged tobacco juice and spittle. The nation cannot be too severely blamed and pitied for this disgusting practice. Yet we feel a tendency, not to excuse, but to deal gently with individuals, most of whom, having been trained to spitting from their infancy, cannot be expected even to understand the abhorrence with which this practice is regarded by men of other nations. Nevertheless, Brother Jonathan, it is not too much to expect that you ought to respect the universal condemnation of your spitting propensities by travelers from all lands and endeavor to believe that ejecting saliva promiscuously is a dirty practice, even though you cannot feel it. We think that if you had the moral courage to pass a law in Congress to render spitting on floors and carpets a capital offense, you would fill the world with admiration and your own bosoms with self-respect, not to mention the benefit that would accrue to your digestive powers in consequence thereof. All of the supper-party were clad and armed in the rough-and-ready style already referred to, and most of them were men of the lower ranks, but there were one or two who, like Ned Sinton, had left a more polished class of mortals to mingle in the promiscuous crowd, These, in some cases, carried their manners with them, and exerted a modifying influence on all around. One young American in particular, named Maxton, soon attracted general attention by the immense fund of information he possessed, and the urbane, gentlemanly manner in which he conveyed it to those around him. He possessed in an eminent degree those qualities which attract men at once, an irresistibly good nature. Frankness, manliness, considerable knowledge of almost every subject that can be broached in general conversation, united with genuine modesty. When he sat down to table he did not grasp everything within his reach. He began by offering to carve and help others, and when at length he did begin to eat, he did not gobble. He guessed a little, it is true, and calculated occasionally but when he did so, it was in a tone that fell almost as pleasantly on the air as the brogue of old Ireland. Ned happened to be seated beside Maxton and held a good deal of conversation with him. Forgive me if I appear inquisitive, said the former, helping himself to a handful of broken biscuit, but I cannot help expressing a hope that our routes may lie in the same direction. Are you traveling toward Sacramento City or the mines? Towards the mines and as i observed that your party came from the southward i suppose you are going in the same direction if so i shall be delighted to join you that's capital replied ned we shall be the better of having our party strengthened and i am quite certain we could not have a more agreeable addition to it thank you for the compliment as to the advantage of a strong party i feel it a safeguard as well as a privilege to join yours For to say truth, the roads are not safe just now. Several lawless scoundrels have been roving about in this part of the country, committing robberies and even murder. The Indians, too, are not so friendly as one could wish. They have been treated badly by some of the unprincipled miners, and their custom is to kill two whites for every red man that falls. They are not particular as to whom they kill. Consequently, the innocent are frequently punished for the guilty." "'This is sad,' replied Ned. "'Are then all the Indian tribes at enmity with the white men?' "'By no means. Many tribes are friendly, but some have been so severely handled that they have vowed revenge and take it whenever they can with safety. Their only weapons, however, are bows and arrows, so that a few resolute white men with rifles can stand against a hundred of them, and they know this well.' I spent the whole of last winter on the Yuba River, and although large bands were in my neighborhood, they never ventured to attack us openly, but they succeeded in murdering one or two miners who strayed into the woods alone. And are these murders passed over without any attempt to bring the murderers to justice? I guess they are not, replied Maxton, smiling, but justice is strangely administered in these parts. Judge Lynch usually presides. "'and he is a stern fellow to deal with. "'If you listen to what the hunter there is saying just now, "'you will hear a case in point, if I mistake not.' "'As Maxton spoke, a loud laugh burst from the men at the other end of the table. "'How did it happen?' cried several. "'Out with the yarn, old boy! "'Aye, and don't spin it too tight, or fae you'll burst the strands.' cried Larry O'Neill, who during the last half hour had been listening open-mouthed to the marvelous anecdotes of grizzlies and redskins with which the hunter entertained his audience. "'Well, boys, it happened this ways,' began the man, tossing off a gin sling and setting down the glass with a violence that nearly smashed it. "'You see, I was up in the mountains near the headwaters of the Sacramento, looking out for deer and getting a bit of gold now and again.' When one day as I was a comin' down a gully in the hills, I comes all of a sudden on two men. One was an engine, as ugly a sinner as ever I seed. T'other was a Yankee lad in a hole digging gold. Before my two eyes were well on him, the red villain lets fly an arrow, and the man fell down with a loud yell into the hole. Up goes my rifle-like wink, and the red skin would have gone under in another second, but my pace snapped. "'Cause why, the priming had got damp, and before I could prime again, he was gone. "'I went up to the poor critter, and sure enough, it was all up with him. "'The air went in at the back of his neck. He never spoke again. "'So I laid him in the grave he had dug for himself, and set off to tell the camp. "'And a most tremendous row the news made. They got fifty volunteers in no time and went off hot foot to scalp the whole nation. As I had other business to look after and there seemed more than enough of fighting men, I left them and went my way. Two days after I had occasion to go back to the same place and when I come in sight of the camp, I guess there was a mighty stir. What's to do, says I to a miner in a hole who was digging away for gold and caring nothing about it. Only scragging an engine, he said looking up. "'Oh,' says I, "'I go and see.' "'So off I set, and there was a crowd of about two hundred miners round a tree. "'And just as I come up, they was putting a rope round the neck of a poor wretch of an old gray-haired redskin, whose limbs trembled so that they was scarce able to hold him up. "'Heave away now,' Bell cried the man as tied the noose. "'But something was wrong with the hitch of the rope round the branch of the tree, and it wouldn't draw.' And some time was spent in putting it right. I felt sorter of sorry for the old man, for his grave face was bold enough, and age more than fear had to do with the trembling on his legs. Before they got it right again, my eye fell on a small band of redskins who were looking quietly on, and foremost among em was the very blackguard as shot the man in the galley. I knew him at once by his ugly face. Without saying a word, I steps forward to the old engine and takes the noose off his neck. "Hello!" cried a dozen men, jumping at me. "'What's that for?' "'Scrag the Hunter,' cries one. "'Hold your long tongues and hear what he's got to say,' shouts an Irishman. "'Keep your minds easy,' says I, mounting a stump, and seize that engine, or I have to put a ball into him before he gets off. For you see, I observed the black villain took fright and was sneaking away through the crowd.' They had no doubt who I meant, for I pinted straight at him. And before you could wink, he was gripped and led under the tree, with a face paler than ever I saw the face of a redskin before. Now, says I, what for are you scragging this old man? So they told me how the party that went off to get the murderer met a band of Injuns coming to deliver him up to be killed, they said, for murderin' the white man. And they gave up this old engine. "'saying he was the murderer. "'The diggers believed it and returned with the old boy "'and two or three others that came to see him fixed off. "'Very good,' says I. "'You don't seem to remember that I'm the man "'what saw the murder and told you of it. "'By good luck I've come in time to point him out, "'and this is him. "'And with that I put the noose round the villain's neck "'and drawed it tight.' At that he made a great start to shake it off and clear away, but before you could wink he was swinging at the branch of the tree, twenty feet in the air. "'Served him right,' cried several of the men emphatically as the hunter concluded his antidote. Ah, he continued, "'and they strung up his six friends beside him.' "'Served them right, too,' remarked the tall man, whose partiality for the tin wash-hand basin and the toothbrush we have already noticed." If I had my way, I'd shoot em all off the face of the earth. I would. Right away. Well, I'm sorry to hear they did that, remarked Larry O'Neill, looking pointedly at the last speaker, for it only showed they was greater murderers nor the Indians. The Redskins murdered one man, but the Diggers murdered six. And who are you that finds fault with the Diggers? inquired the tall man, turning full round upon the Irishman with a tremendous oath. "'Be the marshal,' cried the Irishman, starting up like a jack-in-the-box and throwing off his coat. "'I'm Larry O'Neill at your service. Harrow, come on, if you want to be partially worked off.' Instantly the man's hand was on the hilt of his revolver, but before he could draw it the rest of the company started up and overpowered the belligerents. "'Come, gentlemen,' said the host of the ranch, stepping forward. "'It's not worth while quarrelling about a miserable redskin.' "'Put on your coat, Larry, and come. Let's get ready for a start,' said Ned. "'You can't afford to fight till you've made your fortune at the diggings.' "'How far is it to the next ranch, landlord?' This cool attempt to turn the conversation was happily successful. The next ranch, he was told, was about ten miles distant and the road comparatively easy. So, as it was a fine moonlight night, and he was desirous of reaching the first diggings on the following day as early as possible, The horses and mules were saddled, and the bill called for. When the said bill was presented, or rather announced to them, our travelers opened their eyes pretty wide. They had to open their purses pretty wide, too, and empty them to such an extent that there was not more than a dollar left among them all. The supper which we have described cost them two and a half dollars, about ten shillings and sixpence a head, including a glass of bad brandy, but not including a bottle of stout which Larry, in the ignorance and innocence of his heart, had asked for, and which cost him three dollars extra. An egg also which Ned had obtained cost him a shilling. "'Oh, mother!' exclaimed Larry. "'Why didn't you tell us the price before we took him?' "'Why didn't you ax? retorted the landlord. "'It's all right,' remarked Maxton. "'Prices vary at the diggings as you shall find ere long. "'When provisions run short, the prices become exorbitant. "'When plentiful, they are more moderate, but they are never low. "'However, men don't mind much, for most diggers have plenty of gold.' Captain Bunting and Bill Jones were unable to do more than sigh out their amazement and shake their heads as they left the ranch and mounted their steeds, in doing which the captain accidentally, as usual, drove both spurs into the sides of his mule, which caused it to execute a series of maneuvers and pirouettes that entertained the company for a quarter of an hour, after which they rode away over the plain. It was a beautiful country through which they now ambled pleasantly undulating and partially wooded, with fine stretches of meadowland between, from which the scent of myriads of wild flowers rose on the cool night air. The moon sailed low in a perfectly cloudless sky, casting the shadows of the horsemen far before them as they rode, and clothing hill and dale, bush and tree, with a soft light, as if a cloud of silver gauze had settled down upon the scene. The incident in the ranch was quickly banished, and each traveler committed himself silently to the full enjoyment of the beauties around him, beauties which appeared less like reality than a vision of the night. End of chapter 8